Well, good evening to you all. I'm just curious, how many of you are not regular attenders of this church and are willing to repent and get right with God? Good grief. Well, my thanks to Dr. Tim LaHaye for another marvelous message. I got so wrapped up in it, I'm waiting for the rest of it. You know, and I thought, you know, maybe we should just have him finish. No, 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 I've got to speak. But uh, tomorrow we'll be ready for that. And thank you for mentioning the morality book in such a tender way. Uh, that's brand new. It just came out last week. And uh, I've already been contacted by Fox News, the programmer, for Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, and Sean Hannity. They want to read the book and uh, see if they want to promote uh, the book. So we'll see. We'll see. It's a little different than other things I've written. It's hard-hitting. I'm also doing right now a brand new series that goes with it. Um, Wednesday night I spoke on the attack on marriage in our culture, and uh, it was remarkable, the response of people. Um, you know, we got to stop fooling around with folks. we got to talk straight to people. We're in a mess. We're in a cultural mess. Five minutes after our president was inaugurated, I just happened to be fooling around on the Internet, went to whitehouse.gov, G-O-V, forward slash agenda, and up came the agenda of our president. And I was shocked to read it. It's an attack on every single moral and biblical value that you and I have ever had. Uh, I was stunned by it. I, I couldn't believe that a man who had been so remarkably eloquent during the campaign uh, could point blank say that uh, as soon as we get rid of our understanding of our Jewish Christian heritage, the better. A man who promotes abortion, the gay lifestyle, same-sex marriage, uh, it was all there. It was unbelievable. And... Uh, I pray for him all the time. He said he was a Christian uh, during the campaign, and uh, now he's letting the Muslim world know that he's a Muslim. I don't know what he is, but I know one thing. He needs the Lord. So I'm going to keep praying for him. I'm not going to give up. If I ever get a chance to talk to him, I'm going to give him both barrels. <laughs> I just about had Hillary Clinton a week ago. She stayed in the same hotel that I was in in Israel. Uh, the guides, however, that I had, the Israeli guides, were praying that I wouldn't meet her <laughs> and cause an international incident. The proclamation that we have out there uh, asserts the right of Israel to its own land, uh, prays for them that the a nation will turn to the Lord God of Israel and realize he's their only defense. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu has been confronted with the gospel on many occasions. He is a very good friend of the evangelicals. He has stated in the Knesset recently, amidst a lot of arguing about this, 
He said, it's about time we stop biting the hand of the only people who really support us, and those are Bible-believing Christians in North America. So God bless him. Uh, He needs our support if you're interested in that and you believe in that. If you don't believe in it, please don't sign it. Uh, I've already given him over 20,000 names. And uh, he just practically cried. Um, Israel is suffering like, well, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow about it. And um, several of you have been asking me, I think you asked me questions that you're hoping I'm going to talk about. One guy said about Islam, you're going to talk about Islam? Oh yeah, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. Amen? Uh, We're going to talk about what's going to happen to Israel. Uh, Some of you ask questions that I know intimate you're doubting about things that I may say. First of all, I spend a lot of time documenting what we say. And uh, for many years now, in fact, it'll be almost 30 years now, uh, I have been a friend of the Israeli government, have done a lot of work for them. Uh, If I want to know whether something's true or not, I can pick up the phone and call and find out immediately. It was my joy to sit down for three hours with the head of the Mossad, the greatest intelligence agency in the world. It was quite a joy to see him come to the table with his Bible. Reads God's Word every night, studies prophecy, prays all the time. They have agents in every Muslim country, in case you didn't know, including Iran. We will talk to you about it tomorrow, and it's not uh, uh, conspiracy talk or anything else. We'll shoot straight with you about what's going on, and it is dangerous, and we will try to answer some of the questions that I know that are on your mind. That'll be tomorrow. Also tomorrow afternoon... Several of you picked up my book, Coming World Leader, and said, oh, is this about the Antichrist? No, who cares about him? (laughs) The coming world leader is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Anyway, um, I am going to talk about the Antichrist tomorrow. Uh, Who is the Antichrist? What is it all about? And uh, I hope it will be helpful to you as we look at God's Word. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts, please. Uh, The book of Acts. Somebody asked me about those uh, (laughs) Jewish calendars out there on our table. We we do one every year. And uh, the inside of it has the seven festivals of Leviticus 23. And that's a Bible study that I have done. And uh, I hope it's a blessing to you. But the fascinating thing to me was to see those in Israel being sold. I I don't think they really have read it on the inside. But um, we we charge you $10, but you can fly to Israel and buy it for $38. (laughs) I just saw that about a week ago. They're selling them for $38. See, the dollar's going down and the shekel's going up. You understand? Um, But we're still a nonprofit ministry, and it looks to me like we're trying to keep it that way. Anyway, Acts chapter 2. Our subject uh, that I've been asked to deal with is, are we living in the last days? I guess in one sense, from a prophetic point of view, there couldn't be a better question to 
start thinking about. How close are we? Well, we're one day closer than we were yesterday. But uh, in terms of the prophetic events that we know about in the Bible, really, how close are we? On the first day the church began, first of all, it was Jewish, by the way, with a Jewish Bible, no New Testament, Jewish festivals, uh, Christmas and Easter were not biggies on the list, okay? I just had a person write me about Santa Claus, um, that he's a symbol of Jesus, and um, gave me a whole history on it. Um, he obviously had not heard me much on the radio. I answered his question, and that'll come in December. You'll hear it on the question-answer pro- broadcast. But on that day, the message was directed to Israel. Let's understand something. There weren't any Gentiles. And... Uh, Peter, a very kosher Jew, who only went to the Gentiles because God gave him a vision of unclean food, non-kosher food. And uh, that's a great story in Acts 10. But on the day of Pentecost, it's a Jewish festival called Shavuot. And on that day, uh, the priest would wave two loaves of bread. It's the only time, really, that they have regular bread instead of matzah. Matzah is just unleavened bread. That is, you have no yeast in it, okay? This is the day you have regular loaves of bread. And the priest will wave two loaves of bread. Now, if you ask a Jewish rabbi today, you say, why, rabbi, do we wave two loaves of bread on Shavuot or Pentecost? He will say, we don't know. Tradition. (laughs) I was having lunch with... uh, my Jewish rabbinical friend up the street was synagogue, and uh, it was right before Pentecost, and uh, we were eating breakfast, and uh, um, I asked him the question. I said, why do you weigh those two loaves of bread? He said, well, I really don't know. I really don't know. I thought about priests and Levites. I thought about Abraham, but I didn't want to leave out Jacob. I have to have Abraham, Isaac, and another loaf of bread, you know. I, So, you know, he's going on and on, and he's trying to be funny at the same time, revealing that he doesn't know. So, that's all I did, and I kept eating. You have to learn to ask questions of Jews, you understand, and don't give me your opinion. Do you understand that? See, I know most of you are Gentiles. I already know that. Came in tonight, and I said, how are you? And you all gave the Gentile answer, fine. You might have the flu, but you said, fine, fine, fine. When I ask my Jewish friends, I say, how are you? They say, why do you ask? (laughs) Before you know it, we're arguing. We don't, I don't know how it happens. It just happens. It's a part of our culture. We're not mad. We just argue. Whatever viewpoint you have, we take the opposite one, even if we agree with you. Okay. So that rabbi, he realized I was quiet, which is unusual for me. And he said, all right, David, do you know why we wave the two? I said, I have an opinion. (laughs) And I kept eating, which drives him absolutely crazy. He couldn't stand it. He put down his fork. He said, all right, let's have it. 
why do we wave two loaves of bread? And he's the one doing it, not me. You know. I said, well, it's just a thought, but I think what we have here is a prophecy. A prophecy, yeah. I think uh, one represents Jews and the other represents Gentiles, and he's going to put them into the same loaf on the day of Pentecost. I picked up my fork and started to eat. He said, David, I want to tell you something, and I don't want you to forget it. If the priest knew that one of those loaves represented the Gentiles, he would have dropped it on the floor. <laughs> well, something exciting did happen that day. Amen? Acts chapter 2. You got it now? I gave you time to turn. Verse 16. Ready? This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 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 Well, this is interesting. Because in a Protestant Bible, it's in chapter 2 at the end. But in a Hebrew Bible, it's all of chapter 3. Same content. But in a Hebrew Bible, there are four chapters in Joel, not three. So he took the whole third chapter, which is a short chapter in Hebrew. Verse 17. It shall come to pass, and here's our phrase, in the last days. That's what we're talking about. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Dr. Tim just ended with that. Blends, we didn't talk about it, but it blends beautifully in it. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Let's ask God to help us understand this. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, keep us, Lord, ever mindful that we should not turn to the left or the right, but to stick with what you said, no more, no less. Lord, I pray that the things that we share here would truly reflect the message of the Word of God. You told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You told us that the Word is an incorruptible seed that will abide forever. You told us that we have to be born again by this incorruptible seed if we intend to live forever with you. God, help us to see the seriousness of all of this. In the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Uh, the term last days, by the way, is not a big, biggie in the Bible. That might surprise you. It's only mentioned eight times. Uh, three of those only are in the Old Testament. Uh, we do have what we call an eschatological phrase. That just means last days term. 
called In That Day. It's actually used 108 times. And the problem that Bible expositors have with that phrase is that it sometimes refers to historical events that have happened long ago. Uh, This produces what um, many of us call a historical and futuristic interpretation. That is, what we just read in Acts 2, some of that happened long ago on the day of Pentecost, right? But some of it has not happened. The sun has not turned into darkness and the moon into blood. You understand that what we have there is references to that period of time, Joel calling on them to repent and get right with the Lord, but also projecting that to the end times, what we call last days. Now, when Peter began, he used the phrase, in the last days. But he also noticed very carefully mentioned the day of the Lord in verse 20. The day of the Lord is used 25 times in your Bible. It is not a pleasant time. There are a lot of Bible teachers who say it's both tribulation and the messianic reign of the Messiah. I have found no reference to the messianic reign of the Messiah. It is not pleasant. It is not a blessing. It is a day of darkness and gloom and judgment and distress. There's nothing pleasant about it. It is the day of God's vengeance. He's going to bring on planet earth for their refusal to believe in his Messiah, his only son. That day is about to happen on planet earth. In that day, in a relatively short period of time, which we believe is about seven years long, over one half of the world's population will be killed. It's remarkable what is said. We also have phrases called the day of God, the day of God Almighty, and the day of God's vengeance, as I mentioned. So what does it refer to? Let's start with number one. The last days, put it up on the screen, the last days refer to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon Israel and the Gentiles. Now, sometimes when I'm in a meeting, somebody comes up to pray and says, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit be poured out. And uh, sometimes just to clarify Bible doctrine, I'll say to them, uh, well, obviously there's some people that need to know the Lord. No, 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 we were praying, here's the other one, for the anointing. I said, well, I got a problem with that. They said, why? I already got it. So you don't need to pray for it. I already have it. In fact, all believers have an unction from the Holy One, an anointing. Uh, When I see evangelists throwing the anointing at sections of a stadium and they all fall over, that's an abomination in the sight of God. When you talk about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it is not talking about being filled or baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about the salvation of Israel and the Gentiles. At the end of the tribulation, the day of the Lord, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they will look on him whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. 
That's not only Zechariah 12.10, it's also in Ezekiel 39, verse 29. God's going to pour out His Spirit. Well, then when did the last days begin? On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. When did they end? At the end of the tribulation. This whole period of time is last days, and God is pouring out His Spirit, meaning a multitude of people are coming to know the Lord. Amen? You know, we're all concerned about Muslims, especially after what happened at Fort Hood. And as you know, um, FBI and CIA have uh, surprised, especially Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, by taking possession of mosques that are in major buildings in New York City that have become fronts for channeling millions of dollars to our enemies. Thank God they're doing something about it, amen? Uh, The problem is not Arabs. I'll tell you more about it tomorrow. The problem is Islam. By the way, there's a whole group of Arab believers who pray for me every week. They take my schedule. They're praying for me right now. They're praying that all of you will understand what the Bible says about Arabs. They're sick and tired of reading in the paper about Arab rulers in the Middle East. There are none. Not a single one of them are Arabs. But see, because we're rewriting history and because journalists say whatever they want to say, America's totally confused and precious Arab people are suffering greatly who are called kafir by Islam, which means a person is worthless that you can kill at any time you want. It's the same term they use of Hindus in India. I don't know if America ever will wake up, but I pray that it will. We're in trouble by our compromise with a violent religion with a false prophet and a non-existent God. May God help us. Several people have told me to be careful. Be careful what you say. What for? I'm old and senile now. Last week at a prophecy conference, they've already arrested a man who was dead set with a gun in his possession to kill me. But you understand that God, uh, he makes it clear in the Bible, we're all going to die on time. Amen? Some of you look like you're close to going too. We're all going to die on time. Number two, put it up there. I love this one. The last days refer to the person of the Messiah as God's final revelation. You say, where'd you get that? Go to the book of Hebrews, please, chapter 1. By the way, Hebrews is a must, in my opinion. If you really want to know about Christianity, especially seeing it from a Jewish point of view, but really understanding it, you got to read Hebrews, 13 chapters on the person and work of the Messiah of Israel. We have a commentary out there on it. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to get it. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, various ways, spoke in time past. I'm going slow for a reason. Spoke when? In time past. How? 
by the prophets. Who did he speak to? The fathers, plural, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hath in these last days, there's our phrase again, spoken unto us, how? Not by prophets, but by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, literally the ages of time, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged or cleansed our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. No priest ever sat down except the great high priest. Announced that it was done, it was finished. Now here's the point. Most English translations uh, follow the King James here. Verse 2, hath in these last days. But actually, that's not what the Greek text says. The Greek text says, in the last of these days. What days? The days in which God spoke. If you get our book, The God of the Bible, we tell you, show you, list all the times that God spoke in the Bible. And to whom? It's very interesting. A lot of times we just kind of generalize and throw things around and don't think about it. God spoke in time past, how? By the prophets to the fathers, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the last of these days in which God speaks, what does that tell me? It tells me God's going to stop talking. He's going to give us his final revelation, his last word to this generation or whatever generations. Wow. What's the name of the last book in the New Testament? No. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is in chapter 1, verse 1. That's why the book that says the coming world leader is not about the Antichrist, even though he's discussed in it. It's about Jesus Christ. The whole book is a revelation apocalypse, taking the cover off, unfolding, disclosing what? who Jesus really is. Why? Because he's not the one who walked the hills of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem from the Gospels. If you read Revelation 1, he's the glorified Lord. We look at his majesty as a resurrected Messiah. And the scene in Revelation is totally different than anywhere else in the Bible. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What did Hebrews say? In the last of the days in which God has spoken... He's spoken to us by his son. And what's the name of the last book? The unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, that's interesting because in the last chapter of that book, chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, it says you can't add to the words of this prophecy or God will add to you the plagues that are written in the book. You can't take away from it, or God will take away your part out of the book of life. Apparently, it's very serious to think you've got more Scripture. No, you don't. God is done talking. And when did he finish? In the glory and majesty of his Son. 
You want to know what God's message is to us in this world? It is Jesus Christ our Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. And don't reduce him down to all that we're hearing on television and articles and newspapers and periodicals that Dr. Tim even referred to. We are being inundated with false teaching about who Jesus is. No, the Book of Mormon is not from God, and neither is Doctrines and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. No, the Koran is not from God. God is done talking. And by the way, just for you non-Koran readers, it is one of the stupidest religious books you could ever read. You say, you know, you should be a little kinder. Why? I've talked to Islamic muftis and argued with them. I've never seen such stupidity in all my life. I told them Muhammad's a false prophet. At that point, they get up from lunch and go, they go crazy until they really take a look at how big I am. And I've had to say to them, just sit down and shut up. Are pastors supposed to talk that way? I don't know. I've never been trained well. (laughs) You know, in the Middle East, nobody respects you if you don't know how to argue. You've got to be able to argue, have fun with it, don't get mad at people, but get mad at what they believe. This is not easy. You have to do that with Jewish people, too. It's very important to know what we believe and why. And the fact is, I'm not going to let anybody... Rob me of the joy and blessing knowing the glory and majesty of the Son of God by pulling him down to what you think he is. No, he's not the brother of Satan. Blasphemous talk. What is the matter with us? And no, God is not a black pregnant woman from the shack. I don't care how it's blessed you. If it has blessed you, there's something wrong with the blessing. It is shocking what is happening in this generation. What generation? The last days. They started almost 2,000 years ago, and they're about ready to be wrapped up. Be not deceived, spoken very straightforwardly by Dr. Tim. May God help us to understand the deception is worldwide. Number three, the last days refer to the perils that will come. Second Timothy, please, chapter three. In the context of the last days, which goes on almost 2,000 years, there's something coming at the end. Paul wrote about it in the last letter he ever wrote. He wrote it in the Mamertine prison. It's been my joy to be there alone in that rat-infested mud hole, and read Second Timothy. And I'll never forget the experience just sitting there and reading his last words. He said in chapter 3, in the last days, there's our phrase again, perilous times shall come. The word translated perilous in the King James is used in a gospel account of two men in the tombs 
who were possessed by demons, and no one could control them. And it was translated exceedingly fierce. You want to know what's happening in our culture? A chaotic violence in every area of life. Sex is not, a, not any longer the beauty and romantic words of the Song of Solomon. It is violent, it is abusive, it is animal-like, and it is far from God. It's been my pleasure, if you call that, although it's not been pleasure, to find out what was going on in our culture in this regard. And that's why I speak about it in the book, Whatever Happened to Morality. And I tell you what's going on. It's unbelievable. Back in 1980, we had a conference, a White House conference on a family. President Carter. And I happened to be one who was involved in one of the three cities, which was Los Angeles. You talk about argument. In 1980, I can tell you by that conference, we had a division in our culture between those who want nobody, including God, telling them what to do, and those who believe that God's word still stands. And that conflict has accelerated in an unbelievable way. Getting God and the Bible out of our culture is the motivation of a lot of powerful people in our land. And there are some of us simple folks that have had enough. And we're going to try our best through prayer and through confronting of the Word of God to this generation to get it back into our culture that we will understand our accountability to God alone. We ought to obey God rather than man. This is hitting every moral issue. It's unbelievable. And what did we read in the Bible? In the last days, perilous times will come. The grammatic organization of that, as any first-year Greek student could tell you, is that the perilous times are at the end of it. Are we in perilous times? Let's take a look at it. Verse 2 begins with a phrase that is similar to verse 4, ending a whole bunch of characteristics. It's like parenthesis. The first is lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. They're lovers of their own selves. And verse 4, lovers of pleasure, hedonists, more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, a ritual, a liturgy. Religion is still popular, but they deny the power thereof. The power is gone, folks. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We need to understand something awful and wicked is happening in our time. It says in addition to being dominated by self-love, they are covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Is this perilous times or not? We are seeing it in every field of endeavor in this country and this culture. Uh, By the way, I'm not a prophet of gloom and doom, though it may sound like that right now. I actually believe that we can see a change. You see, I'm a student also of colonial America. I have a lot of books about colonial America. I just bought another one written in 1799. It's a book of sermons about how our republic was established. I just read a big article from a so-called academic professor that George Washington was a secular humanist, was not a believer. Well, that man is stupid. He never read the original documents at all. But in this book I just bought, 1799, there's a sermon in there on the character of George Washington. You talk about a believer, a man of prayer, who believed the only purpose of our nation was to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless the memory of him. But I want you to know it wasn't George Washington, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson. This country was born in a religious revival. Colonial America was one of the most wicked periods of times America has ever experienced. The sin and corruption was unbelievable. America owes a debt to John Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. It was born in a religious revival. Remember that God saves by few, not by many. And I refuse to believe that we cannot, in the grace and long-suffering of our God, experience a revival in our culture. May it start with each of us determined to serve the Lord with all of our hearts and to stop compromising and going into our little hole called Christian churches and never penetrating the society around us that desperately needs our Lord and needs our Bible. We need to wake up. This is a very serious time. Number four, the last days refer to the period of time known as the day of the Lord. I already hinted at it a few moments ago. Let me just quickly tell you, it is not the purpose of this message to outline every one of these, but I want you to see what God says about the day of the Lord. First, it's a day of general deception. Deception is going to be everywhere. It's roots from the garden. Satan masterminded a terrible thing. And God's creatures submitted to it. And we had a disaster. Two, it is a day of gross darkness. There'll be mental and spiritual darkness, not able to think anymore. By the way, if you're involved in immorality, the book of Proverbs teaches that you're not smart at all. You only think you are. It will cloud your brain and, and make it impossible for you to teach accurately what is the truth. Isn't that amazing? I don't think they're teaching that anymore. Number three, it's a day of great distress. Jesus spoke about this. So did the prophets of Israel speak about it. 
Men will be in distress. They won't know what to do. Hmm. If I recall the news, our president said he does not know what to do, so he's going to go to Asia. You know, I have some friends in the military, um, quite a few. And I don't know if you know or not, but uh, the five Joint Chiefs of Staff, four of them are evangelical Bible believers. You want to know where the real religious people are? They're in the military. Did you know what God's doing to a very terrible, confusing war in Iraq and Afghanistan? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's using our blessed servicemen to spread the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The greatest distribution of Bibles in the Muslim world is through our servicemen. They can't even keep up with the orders. Did you know in the last four years we've seen more Muslims come to Jesus Christ than ever in the history of the Middle East? The Middle East leaders are now speaking about it. They're saying that we are undermining. It's a conspiracy. No, it's not. It's a bunch of servicemen who love the Lord and just keep sharing the gospel. One of my favorite pictures I have in my office is of a huge hole out in the desert sand, a long line of Iraqis lined up for military men who are pouring their water bottles into the hole to fill it up and make a baptism to baptize all these people they've led to Jesus Christ. It's absolutely exciting. Uh, There's a great ministry called Olive Tree Ministries. Dr. Tim knows uh, very well that dear lady from Minneapolis. If you want to read about it, go to her website, Olive Tree Ministries. Uh, It's just a terrific article, oh my, on what God is doing in the Muslim world. It's scaring the daylights out of Muslim leaders. Thousands, not hundreds, thousands of Muslims have been turning to Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, be not deceived. God is not mocked. The world's in great distress. He's not. Number four, it's a day of geological disaster, the day of the Lord. Boy, we've had a lot of them. Remember the tsunami? They all said that was the end of the world. That was nothing. We had tsunamis for 150 days when God destroyed the whole planet with a global deluge. It wasn't caused by rain. It was caused by the fountains of the deep being broken up. There were oceanic earthquakes in the oceanic caverns that caused these great volumes of water, causing immediate stratification. The whole argument of paleontology is not based on millions of years, but on disaster. I love the way some of you looked at me like, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. I went to Stanford. Oh, God can heal people of anything. Number five, it's a day of global destruction. Six, a day of gruesome death. Over half the world will be killed. But this is the good news. Number seven, it's a day of godly deliverance. What do we hear at the end of the last message? Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I remind you that is not a New Testament message. That is a New Testament quote of a passage in the Old Testament to Israel. It is my prayer that Israel will call on the name of the Lord. According to the Bible, at least one-third of them are going to do that. Number five, the last days refer to the punishment of the wicked. Haven't you wondered sometimes, are people getting away with all this stuff? The answer is no. Payday, someday. In James chapter 5, there's a long discussion about this. I'm not going to go over each passage simply to bring it to your attention. And in James chapter 5, it mentions God punishing the wicked in the last days. Verse 3 says, your gold, your silver is cankered. Hey, my wife and I are watching TV. Have you seen the commercials on gold? You know, you better hurry because China just this week bought $220 billion of gold. We're already a debtor to them. You know, our president doesn't want you to know that we haven't paid our military salaries or their medical benefits for some time now. The question is, well, who's paying it? China is. Talk about being a debtor. They can call this in anytime they want. We're getting trapped by our foolishness and our bad decisions financially. And then I look at all this gold and I said to my, my wife says, how much do we have? Um, honey, I think this ring, well, I'm really not sure. James said, your gold is cankered. You're putting your confidence in that which God says, don't. But he says, that's what they're going to do. And look at the end of the verse. You've heaped treasure together for the last days. Wow. I would have loved to have been there. It's in the book of Daniel, the feast of Belshazzar, to see that hand come out right on the wall. Many, many Tickle, you farson. You are weighed in the balances and found wanting. God's judgment is coming. And number six, the last days refer to the promise of his coming. Praise the Lord. You say, where? This is my favorite passage for CNN callers. No, I'm serious. Uh, they call every year a, right about Earth Day, whatever that is. It's in April, and this one last year called, and uh, she said, what are you going to do for Earth Day? I said, well, we're going to sing some songs and take an offering and preach the next chapter in the Bible and pray a little. I said, that's what we're going to do. Well, what about Earth Day? I said, what about it? She said, don't you care about the environment? I said, sure. My daddy taught me to pick up trash. And I think we ought to stop using insecticide and pesticides on our fruit and vegetables. Oh, then you do care. No, not really. <laughs> well, I don't understand. I said, well, I have the original document about planet Earth. 
She said, you have original document about planet Earth? Yes, I do. Well, what does it say? You sure you got the time? It'll only take me a few minutes. I'd be happy to read it to you. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. So I opened my Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Why would I care about Earth Day when God's going to blow it sky high? <laughs> now, the pause, it, was, it seemed like forever. It was only probably 10 seconds. And she comes back on. Now she's stuttering. She said, well, well do you have any idea when it will be? <laughs> Actually, I do. She eventually hung up on me. She couldn't take it anymore. But the next day she wrote in the paper which caused all the pastors in town to get a kick out of it. It says, Hawking doesn't celebrate Earth Day because God's going to blow it up. <laughs> you know, I've read the last chapter in this book. You know something? We win. Yeah. Amen. We win. <laughs> Praise the Lord. One last thing and we're done. The last days, oh, nobody wants to put this under a prophetic agenda. The last days refer to the placing of the temple above all. You say, you're kidding. No, I'm not. The Hebrew prophets have it all the time. Is this the temple mentioned in Revelation chapter 11? No, that one the Jews are going to build. And they won't be receiving Jesus Christ. They're going to be receiving an antichrist. Well, what temple are you talking about? I'm talking about the one in Zechariah 6, 12, and 13. The Messiah will be a king and a priest, and he will build the temple of the Lord. I'm talking about a temple that's mentioned in the last nine chapters of Ezekiel. If you listen to our broadcast, we're in Ezekiel right now. We're chapter 35 today. That means we're hitting the great sections right away. Wow. Gog and Magog and the temple. Nine chapters that nobody wants to study. I have pastors who believe that the church has replaced Israel, so they call that a symbolism of the church. Very prominent man said that, and I wrote him a letter. Didn't do any good, but I wrote him a letter. And I said, you know, if that refers to the church, that is the biggest church I have ever seen. And he uses all these measurements. What, what would that have to do with it? He said, oh, you don't take that literally. Oh, well, what do I take literally? And why would God tell me the exact measurement of everything? I don't understand. And where's that water coming out of it? It's going to come out of the pulpit? Where's it coming out? And it's going to go all the way down to the Dead Sea and heal it, and we're going to fish there. Now, that is what, symbolic? He said, well, let's just put it this way. The last nine chapters are extremely questionable. Oh, really? I said, you know, it's funny. Throughout that book, Ezekiel said these were visions that God gave him. And he wasn't the only one. Isaiah said, 
God's going to do some topographical changes. The highest mountain will have this temple on top of it. And oh, by the way, all nations of the world will be coming to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. It will dominate the messianic kingdom of the Lord. What a day that's going to be. If I were you, I'd put it down right now. Listen to David clear through Christmas because I'm going to deal with all nine chapters of Ezekiel starting in about a week on the radio all the way to Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Okay? Folks, the truth is we are in the last days and we are, in my opinion, it doesn't make it right, but in my opinion, we're in the section called perilous times, which is at the end of the period of time known as last days. What is God doing in the last days? He is saving a multitude of Jews and Gentiles. During the tribulation, one of the greatest multitudes of Gentiles ever will be saved, probably through the preaching of 144,000 Jewish evangelists. There's some great days coming and some awful, tragic days coming. But the fact is, Peter gave a conclusion to this message that Dr. Tim did, and I'm doing again. Knowing all of this, what is God one of us? And the answer is, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our deliverance is only in the Messiah of Israel. There is no other hope. I just had last week, a lady came up after I said something similar, and she said to me at the end of this, she said, I have a question that's bothering me. So what? She said, you seem to be implying that we have to believe he's the Messiah in order to be saved. I said, well, I'm very sorry for only implying it. I thought I said it directly. <laughs> John tells us, chapter 20, verse 30, many other signs Jesus did which are not written in this book, but these are written, the ones he has in his book, that you might believe that Yeshua is Hamashiach. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in believing that, you will have life through his name. Yes, you must believe he's the Messiah, and there is no other hope for anyone in this world. I don't care where they live and who they are. I don't care how old they are or what color they are. Every single one of us has only one hope, to call on the name of the Lord, and we will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you for your patience. Father in heaven, we are sometimes overwhelmed by the volume of prophecies Seems like every time we turn the page in this wonderful book we call the Bible, there's something else. You have made it clear that our hope is beyond the grave. You said we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Why does a man hope for that which he has not seen? And the answer is because we have faith in who you are and in your promises. We've seen you fulfill your word over and over again in the past, 
And we have no doubt it's going to continue as you have promised. Lord, I don't know the hearts of the people who've come here. Some have been invited by friends. Some heard the announcements and came. And some were interested in Bible prophecy and they're here. And we come from different churches and different walks in life. And I don't know their hearts, Lord, but you do. You know every one of us, and we can't fool you. And as often happens, we may have outwardly professed our allegiance to you, but in our hearts and in our lifestyle when no one else knows, we need to repent. Lord, you said judgment must begin at the house of God. Lord, I know that just the people that are here, if we got right with God and became vibrant soldiers of, of our Lord in this generation, it would be amazing to see what God could do. You are looking for such people to stand in the gap. People are unafraid, for the fear of man is a snare and a trap. We know in the New Testament boldness, the freedom to speak without fear was produced by the Holy Spirit controlling the believer. And Lord, our own sin and selfishness, you have told us, will grieve and quench the Spirit. And some of us have been quenching him for so long, we don't even know where to start to get back to you. I'm so glad, Lord, to learn about you in the Bible. You are abundant in pardon and ready to forgive. Your mercies are new every day. You hold back from us what we deserve, and your grace gives us what we don't deserve. And God, I pray that some folks here right now would just run to you, as it were. In their hearts, they would just cry out to you and say, Lord, please help me. I got to get straightened out before it's too late. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, please don't look around. Maintain privacy for everyone. Honor that, please. I'm not going to embarrass you or call in your name, but it doesn't matter who knows what is going on in your heart. You do, and God does. And though no one knows on either side of you what you're doing, you do. And I'm going to ask you just to take a bold step. It's not everything. It's just a start. But you know you need to get right with God. Some, something's not right. Right where you are, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up to God right now and say, God, please help me. Please, please. Yes, 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 yes. All over the audience. Yes, God knows your heart. Talk to him while your hand's up. Lord, please help me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. Please help me to get right with you and to stop this. Listen, it's easy to drift away. Oh, is it easy. Like the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Right where you are, Lord, please help me. Father, I want to thank you for all these folks. You know their hearts. I don't.
We can't hide from you. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to deal. Help us, Lord, to get to a Bible as soon as we can and find out what it is that we need to do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.